Well, it's been about five weeks since we've been in 1 Corinthians, and we've been making our way through this book. We took a little pause. Uh, Jeff and Randall preached a couple weeks, and then a couple weeks we talked about Christmas and the Incarnation. So let's just do a little refresher of where we left off uh, five weeks ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church in the matters of sex, marriage, divorce, singleness, widows, a whole bunch of things. He begins the chapter by dealing with a weird view that some people had in the Corinthian church. There were some, no doubt, that were being sexually immoral, like the man from chapter 5 who was sleeping with his stepmother. There was those who were sexually promiscuous. There were those who were married, but were practicing celibacy for some notion that they could be more spiritual in that pursuit. Paul quickly addresses that and gives the purpose of marriage, the purpose of sexual relations even within a marriage. And he even addresses divorce and remarriage. And we looked a lot about that. And the main point that Paul's making through there is stay married. Stay married. Marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman for life. We did see that God does have biblical exceptions. The scriptures do give us two biblical exceptions for divorce and remarriage. One is, of course, marital infidelity. And secondly, abandonment by an unbeliever. Uh, We saw that in chapter 7. And I encourage, if you missed any of those sermons, they were there was a lot of information contained in there. All of our sermons are on our website and go down to the website and listen to those and get caught up. Those are very important sermons for the context of what we're talking about today. So as we move forward, Paul here in verse 12 continues with this aspect of marriage and he addresses another question. He had just got done speaking about the permanency of marriage and why why those uh, who are married should stay married. But now he goes to verse 12 and probably has a quest, heard a question from them. And the question simply is this. If you are married and then you become a believer, but your spouse is not a believer, does that give you permission to divorce your unbelieving spouse and marry a good Christian man or woman at your church? Well, let's see what Paul says. Verse 12. To the rest, I say, not the Lord. And what Paul means there is, previously he had teaching from the Lord on this. He's quoting previous things that Jesus had said. And now he's giving his uh, apostolic authority here, um, not on the teaching of Jesus, but of course inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. He's talking to people here who are already married, perhaps have become Christians after they were married, and the the question is, should I stay married? And the answer, of course, is yes. But Dan, I thought that you said earlier that the Bible says that Christians should only marry other Christians. And that is true. 
We saw that from this chapter in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Paul's even going to tell the widows that if they get remarried, to marry in the Lord. Right? That we cannot have a, a, an unequal bonding and yoke between people, different worldviews colliding. Christians should date Christians or court Christians. Christians should only marry other Christians for a variety of reasons. But if you are already a Christian and married to someone who's not, stay married. We clear on that. <laughs> stay married. That is not the same. You're already married, married and you cannot break that covenant and, um, because your spouse is not a Christian. Um, you cannot abandon your vows. You cannot abandon this covenant of marriage and marry somebody else. Um, now remember that Paul said in verse 15, which we already covered, so we're going to kind of glance over that today. In verse 15 he says, if, an, if a, a person who's a believer has an unbelieving spouse and the unbelieving spouse leaves, then the believing spouse is free, right? That's the second exception there, the abandonment by an unbeliever then that's fine. Let them leave. You don't leave. Let them break the, the marital vows. You don't. You stay faithful to the end. But he says in verse 12 and 13, that if your unbelieving spouse wants to stay married, then you ought to stay married. If any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. But there's a nice Christian guy at my church. Why can't I marry him? Because you're married. And to leave your unbelieving spouse or a believing spouse is adultery. Stay married. Let them leave. You don't leave. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Till death do us part. Is in our marital vows for a reason. It's not because it sounds nice and romantic. It's because it's biblical. When we're giving ourselves to our spouse in marriage, we are making a covenant that ought not to be broken lightly. Okay, so Paul, if a guy who's a Christian has an unbelieving spouse, then what is the purpose of staying married besides you're married? Well, look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband otherwise your children would be unclean but as it is they are holy this is actually a question that was asked of us at the gospel forum conference during the Q&A session what does it mean that the unbelieving spouse is made holy because of the believing spouse well first what it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that the unbelieving spouse is by default saved because they're married to a believer. No. The, an unbeliever doesn't become a Christian by default. But what does the word holy mean? It means set apart. It means to be made distinct, consecrated. What Paul is saying here is when there's the presence of a believer in a home... There's a sanctifying effect on the unbelieving spouse and the children. And it does have an impact in ways that are not the same in other homes where there's no one's, who, no one's a Christian. The very presence of a believing spouse can be used by God 
in ways to bless that family that other families who are not, don't have any Christians in it can be blessed. In this way, the unbelieving children and unbelieving spouse, although they're not Christians, have a spiritual advantage that unbelieving households do not. Just for the fact of how close they are to the believers in the home. God blesses the household in spite of the unbelieving spouse. Why? Because of the believer. The believer then reaps the the unbeliever then reaps the blessings of God's people in the house by default. Unbelieving family members are prayed for, have God's law emphasized, have the gospel uh, preached, are invited to church, hear about the person's day which involves spiritual things. All those conversations have a sanctifying effect on those who don't know Christ in a way that makes them different or distinct than other unbelievers. So Paul says, stay married, even if your spouse is not a Christian. Why? Because you have more of an impact in their life than you think. By your very presence, by your very prayers, by your very Standard of living, of holiness. You are sending them a message which makes them a reaper of blessings by God which they would not have otherwise. They are holy. They are set apart. They're not Christians. They need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sins to be a Christian. But just the very impact and influence of a believing spouse makes all the difference. And I know this applies to some people in this room, some people who have unbelieving spouses. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Stay faithful. Stay married. Pray for your unbelieving spouses. For your presence in that home is worth it. Well, let's continue. Well, Paul, what will God do in this marriage or home by staying married? We'll look at verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Staying married to an unbelieving spouse, why? Because by your sanctifying influence, you don't know whether God will save their soul. Let me tell you of a, sweet, a story of a sweet lady, which some of you know. Many of you knew Jeanette Bryant. She, was, uh, she attended this church a few years ago. She's now home with the Lord. One of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. Jeanette um, shared her testimony in my small group one night in my house a few years ago. Jeanette was a very unique lady, full of joy, in spite of her being blind. She could not see. She became blind during her life. She was not born that way. And Jeanette's husband was an unbeliever. Jeanette loved the Lord. Oh, does she love spiritual truth and love the Bible, love to talk about Christ. And so when she began to lose her sight, and she could no longer read her Bible, and she could no longer read her Bible study lessons from her ladies group, she still had to get it. So she had her husband read the Bible to her. He's not a Christian, but he read the word of God to her every day. He would read the books out loud for her Bible study groups. 
And he would listen to himself reading and hearing what the Bible taught. And Jeanette shared at our small group one night that after doing that for some time, he became a Christian. He repented of his sins and became a follower of Christ. He then, of course, went home to be with the Lord sometime later. And Jeanette shared that story as a widow. That story is what Paul is trying to say here. This sanctifying presence that is in this home, God used in Jeanette's life, filling her with the Holy Spirit to touch her unbelieving husband so that one day he also placed his faith in Christ. And all he did was read the Bible out loud. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So, for those who struggle because your spouses are not Christians, never give up. Never give up. Never lose heart. But pray for them. And pray that God would use the influence in your life to somehow draw them to Christ. Because your very presence matters. Stay married. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Praise God. Let's have more stories like Jeanette. <laughs> it's the power of the word and the power of the spirit. But now let's go to verse 17. In verse 17, Paul really gets to the core of the matter. Everything he has just said in chapter 7 has at its foundation a central thought that drives the whole message. He gives several examples about married people who are acting like they're unmarried and unmarried people who are living like they are married and, and widows and those who are divorced and the whole nine yards. And really, what is at the core of the Corinthian issue regarding sexuality and marriage is really a growing discontentment that resided in the hearts of these Corinthians. And if we're honest, it resides in all of our hearts as well. You know, all of us probably have said out loud or believed inwardly, you know, if my life was different, I could be a better person. You know, if this circumstance changed, then God could really use me. You know, if this were to develop in my life, then wow, I would really love the Lord even more. I think that's what's going on in Corinth. They're looking for more. They're trying to climb higher through these spiritual levels to get to places they think would bring satisfaction. But at the heart of the matter, they ignore their present identity in Christ. They ignore the truths of the gospel and the sufficiency that the word itself brings them. They see this discontentment, and we all have been there. In Corinth, these feelings were probably seen through these questions. Going from the top, if I could avoid sexual intimacy in marriage, then I'd be a better Christian. They literally thought that. 
If I could be married to someone else, then I'd be a better Christian. If only I wasn't a widow or a widower, then I'd be a better Christian. If only I could get remarried again, I'd be a better Christian. If only I could be married to a believer, I'd be a better Christian. These are all painful things that come from hearts. Because we're people who are always longing for more. We're people who are uh, trying to satisfy the deepest hurts and pains of our hearts. And that's natural. Because we're broken people, because we're sinful people, we're never fully satisfied. I mean, we've all been there, right? If I just got that job, oh, I wouldn't be in debt anymore. If I just got that raise, oh boy, that would make things so much easier and simpler. But what happens? The more money you make, the more you spend. And you know what is really at the core of your problems financially? It's not that you need to make more money. It's you need to spend the money you have better. You need to be content with what you have and be a good steward with what you have now instead of always longing for more. Because I can guarantee you that when you get what you think you need, it will still not be enough. If I only had that car, if I only had that house, if I only had her to marry me, boy, if I only had him, why can't I have a husband like that? Why can't I have a wife like that? All that grows with the seeds of discontentment. This is what's going on in Corinth. This search for longing, this search for purpose. And we fill ourselves and drive ourselves mad with all sorts of ideas that aren't true. And now Paul's about to unravel that and show them the truth behind that false teaching and that false belief system that is causing problems in marriages, problems in relationships, problems in sexuality here in the city of Corinth. And I think if we're all honest, we all reside deep at this level as well. Here's the truth that Paul's about to say. Verse 17 is really the key verse. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. The answer for all Christians is this. Live the life God has assigned to you. The truth is that if you really did receive all you wanted, you still wouldn't be happy. Why? Because you're the common denominator in all your problems. And so am I. I wish that weren't true, but it is. If we get what we want, we only want more. Because we have heart Issues. We have a heart problem. Hmm. Each person must lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them. What is Paul trying to say here? Everything in your life has been ordained by the sovereign hand of God. And so to compare your life to other people... It's a fruitless journey. Because you're not on their path. You're not on their journey. 
God has given to you a certain purpose for your life. Your purpose is not to live someone else's purpose. Your purpose is to be glad in God and to find your purpose in Him and to be satisfied in Him with who you are, with what you have, and not with this endless pursuit to fill that longing in your heart, which honestly will never be fulfilled. You are made for so much more that you miss the obvious things right in front of you. You're always searching for other things and other pleasures and comforts. But what you have now is all you need. All you need in this life is God. Well, you may say, well, what about my family, Dan? Of course you need your family. But what if you lose your family tomorrow? Then what? If everything else were taken away from you, what would you say? Would you live the rest of your life depressed and discouraged? Probably. But then somehow you're going to have to base your identity, base your longings, base your desires in what you already have, which is all you need. All that you have, all the riches you need is given to you by a sovereign God. This is what Paul is trying to say. Let each person lead the life assigned to him and to which God has called him. That means that God is in control of your life, not you. I wish I could hit a baseball like Aaron Judge. But I can't. I wish I could dunk a basketball like Michael Jordan. That'll never happen. I wish I had the financial sense and brain power of some of these greatest financial minds and make the right investments and just live off my interest I'm making. Guess what? Dan is pretty dumb. I mean, there's all these things in life that we look at other people and we are envious and jealous of them. And we miss what God has called us to. What has God assigned to you? What has God called you? Some of the things God has assigned to you comes from your stupid choices. There's no doubt about it. And my stupid choices. We make mistakes. We sin. And as a result of that, we have consequences that come our way because of the dumb things we have decided to do. But even in spite of my stupidity, God is sovereign. Amen to that. Which means that even though I may regret something I did 10, 20, 30 years ago, which set a different course for my life, guess what? What I have now has been assigned to me by God. That's the people I meet. That's the people who I invest in. That's where I serve. It's who I love. Who I'm with. It's what I do. We, we live in the past because we're always, and, and some of you are living in the past and you're never going to get over that, it seems like. Well, if I hadn't done that, if I didn't do this, I, stop it. 
You're going to waste your life with yesterday. Or you're going to live your life based on the hopes of tomorrow. Stop it. Be satisfied with today. You're not even promised tomorrow. And the things of your yesterday have only paved for your today. So enjoy God today. And no matter who you are. That involves your vocation. That involves your address. That involves your vehicle. That involves your health. Be satisfied in God today. For a sovereign God has allowed things in your life for his glory. So learn to glorify God. For whatever has been assigned to you. That's your family, your friends, your church, your health, your spouse, your children. So many things that grip at your heart that you wish were different. But lead the life God has assigned to you today. And when you do that, you're submitting yourself to a sovereign God. Yeah, you've made sinful, stupid choices before. But now, God is glorifying himself through you today. No reason to live with past regrets. Repent of sin. Glorify him today with what you have. Hmm. We all need this reminder. God's sovereignty is the answer to our discontentedness. And now Paul addresses two issues in Corinth that were hurting these people. All of that applied to the marriage stuff, the sexuality stuff, the divorce stuff, everything I just said. But now he gives two more examples of where people are struggling here. And there were really two of the biggest social issues of their day. One was, what do we do with circumcision and the relationship between Jews and Gentiles? And third, the, and, and secondly, the issue of slavery. How do slaves in Christ live their life today? That verse 17 is in the middle of the marriage, and then what's coming here with slavery and circumcision. That's the key point. Look at verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. You know what Paul is saying here? Again, stay married. Same principle. Be content with what you have right now. Stay married. Here it is. Were you... Were you, is the, usually the word circumcised means Jewish people. Uncircumcision means Gentile people. Obviously this loses its meaning today because Jews and Gentiles are both circumcised in our day. But in this day, it was only Jewish people that were circumcised. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant given to the Jewish people. But it produced this great religious barrier in the first century. The uncircumcised people, the Jewish people, versus the uncircumcised people, everyone else. So Paul says, were you a Jew, meaning you were circumcised when you became a Christian? Great, stay a Jew. Because there were some people who were ashamed of that because now that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and realize that circumcision counts for nothing, 
that now they're trying to cover up the scars of circumcision like it never happened before. And what's Paul saying here? What? No. Remain circumcised. Remain there. That's your, your identity is now in Christ. There's no reason to remove the past. And then on the flip side, there was another controversy because they had some Jewish people, like the Judaizers, forcing Gentile people, saying, ah, you can't be a Christian unless you have a little operation. Be circumcised and then we'll talk. And Paul says to those who were uncircumcised, were you uncircumcised when you got saved? Don't seek circumcision. Stay uncircumcised. Again, it's this whole idea of contentedness. Those who were Jewish were probably saying, oh, I just, I, I wish I was more like the Gentiles. that didn't have this. Th-. And those who were Gentiles, boy, I wish I was more like the Jews. And now I could be more holy and closer to God's people. And have the-. Paul says, what are you doing to yourself? Gentiles had big pressure from some Jewish sects to become circumcised. We see this in the book of Galatians. So, some were saying, if I, was, if I was not circumcised, I'd be a better Christian. Some were saying, well, if I was circumcised, I'd be a better Christian. No. Stay as you are. Just like he said, stay married. Now he's saying he, here, stay as you are. Remain as you are. Why? Because if you were uncircumcised when you were saved, that is God's sovereign plan for you. You were created as a Gentile. So now you have become one in Christ with your Jewish brothers. God has created you. He chose you. He chose your ethnicity. He chose your address whether you're a Jew or Gentile, everything that's ever happened to you on this pathway of life has led up to this point of believing in him. So why would you go back to where you were? Be content where you are. Remain as you are. Again, what is Paul doing? Again, he's resorting to God's sovereignty as the key here. Something that Paul preached on Mars Hill In Acts chapter 17, as he's preaching to the unknown God, to the statue of the unknown God there on Mars Hill. In Acts 17, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That's right, you heard it right here. There's not different races of people. Don't ever believe that lie. There's one race, and it's the human race. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. What is Paul saying here? It was God who determined when we live and where we live. And for what purpose? So that we might find him. So why would you live as a regret that you're a Jew? Why would you live as a regret that you're a Gentile? Remain as you are. Realize that as a Gentile, God drew me to himself. As a Jew, God drew me to himself. Remain as you are. And here's this point, verse 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. 
Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Having a surgical procedure isn't going to make you a better Christian. Remain as you are. Having a different husband or a different wife won't make you a better Christian. Getting remarried won't make you a better Christian. Remain as you are and find your contentment in God now. Hmm. This is what the gospel does, brothers. The gospel unites us, Jew and Gentile. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Why are you guys still fighting about Jews and Gentiles? You are one in Jesus Christ. You have the blood of Christ as your identity, not a surgical operation. Trust me, having an operation won't change your heart. So in spite of that, remain as you are. That, has God, that is how God has called you. Look at verse 21, and now he gives a second illustration. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom... Avail yourself of the opportunity. A bondservant was a form of slavery in the first century Roman world. Now, when you think of slavery, you're only thinking of one thing, the chattel slavery that imported slaves from Africa. There was various kinds of slavery in the ancient world. Obviously, there was that kind that existed that stole people from other countries or were spoils of war. But in this first century Roman world, you, can, you could voluntarily become a slave to pay off a debt that you owed somebody. This is really what a bond servant is. In this Roman world, you could do that to pay off your debt. It, it, it's not a perfect illustration because it's much more complicated than that. But, you know, if you've ever joked around with someone who's forgotten their wallet at a restaurant, what, what do you normally tell them? Well, now you're going to have to stay and do the wash the dishes. You're going to have to pay off the debt that you owe. I mean, in a sense, that's a very silly way to describe a bondservant. Okay, I voluntarily will wash the dishes to pay off my debt because I forgot my wallet. Well, a bondservant could do that. I, I could owe you some money. And so I say, I will work for you for so many months or years to pay off this debt. And so... Evidently, there was this mindset among many people in this world, people who were bondservants, who then were feeling the effects of that enslavement, and probably regretting, like, why did I do this, and why did I go in debt, and why did I become a slave, and it's going to take me 20 years to pay this off, and wait a minute, I'm in Jesus now, I'm a free person, see you later, master, That's not what Paul says. 
Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Meaning, don't worry about it. If you can gain your freedom, then, then set yourself free. Pay off your debt. Fine. But don't think, and I think this was also the case, there were people who were slaves in the first century, who were in captivity, who thought, if only I were free, I could be a better Christian. Again, this mindset, if only I was married, if only I wasn't married, if only I was a Jew, if only I was a Gentile, if only I was free, I'd be a better Christian. Here's the truth. If you can't be a good Christian now, you wouldn't be a good Christian then. That's the key. That's the key of the matter. If God will, God will give you grace to live as a bondservant, if that is the condition in which you were saved, Paul says, by all means, you can buy your freedom, set yourself free, do it. But Jesus has not called us for so, to be social revolutionaries and uphold the world. And if you owe a debt, pay the debt. This is why Paul, when he's writing to Philemon about Onesimus, Paul doesn't say, uh, what? He doesn't say that there's not something owed. Matter of fact, Paul even offers to pay the price for Onesimus' freedom. And he gives instructions to bondservants in the New Testament. So what's he saying? Don't worry about it. You're not less of a person. You're not less of a Christian if you're a bondservant. You're not going to be a better Christian if you weren't. If you can't be a, if you can't be a good Christian while you're a bondservant, you're not going to be a good Christian without it. Just like I said earlier, if, you, if you're not going to get out, if you're not going to be out of debt at your current wage, you're not going to be out of debt when you have more money. It's just not going to happen. Unless you change the heart that got yourself into debt to begin with. Just getting a new wife isn't going to solve all your problems from your previous marriage. Why? Because you're bringing yourself into the new marriage. And even though that your previous spouse may have borne a lot of the responsibility and a lot of the issues, guess what? I can guarantee you as being a pastor for almost 25 years doing a lot of marital counseling, you brought your fair share as well. And just getting a new wife or a new husband won't solve your happiness. You might be a little happier than you were in the previous marriage, but you're still not going to look and feel totally fulfilled because you are a sinner and so will your new spouse be. Paul is trying to train the minds of these bondservants to say, serve Christ now, today, here. Be content with who you are in God. For it was God by his sovereignty which allowed you to be in the position you're in. He has saved you as a slave. Now honor God in that calling. And why shouldn't it concern them? Look at verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Don't worry about it. Why? Because we're all slaves. 
You're, you're trying to set yourself from that kind of slavery, but the Bible says and the scriptures say that we are all slaves of Christ. Once you're free, don't become a bondservant again. Paul even has issues, not issues, instructions for these bondservants. Here's just one example. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound like social revolution, does it? With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever God, good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Here Paul writes to both slaves and masters. And he instructs the slaves to do what? Serve the Lord. Do everything you do as unto the Lord. Keep your mind on Christ. Don't be discontent and live your life based and let that fuel your depression and moving forward. No, focus on Christ. So he concludes with verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. That's the key. Remain with God. He didn't say, suck it up, buttercup. No. What does he say? Stay, but keep your eyes on Christ. That's how you're going to stay married. That's how your identity in Christ will be renewed and found again. That's how widows and widowers Remain with God. Even though you may have the longing for a new spouse. And God may give you a new spouse. You never know. We just saw it a couple of weeks ago with two beautiful people. Ruth and Terry. Both had lost their spouses. Both home with the Lord. And now reunited. Who knows whether the Lord will do that for you. Who knows whether you're divorced. Whether the Lord will bring someone to you. Whether that happens or not, remain with God. That's how you manage. That's how you cope. That's how you move forward. Lord, this is what your sovereign hand has dealt with, dealt to me. This is what I have done, whether by my stupid choice or not. But God, you are sovereign over me. And I will be content in you, knowing that you are good. And your good hand will guide me as you wish. Whatever condition in which you were called, there remain with God. That's how you're going to be closer with God. Whether you're married or single. Singleness is a gift from God. Perhaps God will bring you a spouse one day, singles. But maybe not. But I can guarantee you something. That you won't be a better Christian if you're married than if you're single. 
If anything, it'll bring to the surface what you don't know yet. Be content to stay single and remain in God. Trust God. Whatever plan he has for you, be the best single you can in Christ. Divorced or widowed, slave or free, married or single. You don't need to change your social situation to be holy. You don't need to change your social status to find peace with God. Remain with God. Stay married. Stay in Christ. Trust the sovereign God. And may the pains of your discontentedness fade away. By the blaze of his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for 1 Corinthians 7. Thank you, God, for bringing to light for us 2,000 years later, the struggles of this church and people. And Lord, and what we find out the deeper we go is we have the same problems and struggles and issues because we're just people and sinners just like they were. Oh God, we have so many different kinds of people in this room. Married, single, divorced, widowed. We have people with lots of money, people with little money, people with huge debt, people with no debt. God, we pray that the answer to every pain that is felt and heard in this room might be to remain in God and not for the longing for something else that will only bring more pain and destruction to them. And a feeling of emptiness when that thing comes their way that actually doesn't promise everything that it should have promised. Oh God, help us to be truly content, satisfied in Christ, And Lord, this is easier said than done. This is not to dismiss the the pains and the longings and the desires of your people. But we pray that you would help them fill these longings and desires, whatever they are, by remaining in God with a God-centered, grounded worldview. May the Bible be enough for them May you be enough for all of us in whatever condition we are in. Not living in the past, but living who we are in Christ right now. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing a closing hymn together. God bless you, we love you. We pray that you will have a safe remaining 11 hours and 54 minutes in your year. And we look forward to 52 more Lord's Days together, Lord willing, next year. Praise God for the 53 he's given to us this year. What a gift the Lord's Day is. Let's sing together and Happy New Year.